0: picks for pace presented by the bear report your number one source for chicago bears draft news analysis scouting reports
2: and more
0: hosted by alex Blevin and andrew freeman
2: on Overtime overtime media welcome to picks for pace a chicago bears draft podcast presented by the bear report my name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Bluffin. Alex, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had the chance to uh, do a podcast here over the last few weeks, but uh, you know, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. Uh, I'm glad to be talking football during this quarantine, because there's, there's no sports going on, so there's no better place to focus our energy than the upcoming NFL draft.
2: Yeah, I agree 100% with that sentiment right there, so... We are recording this episode on Wednesday, March 25th. So we're about a little bit over a week into free agency. Uh, You know, it's been, there's been a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, there's just a ton to talk about in regards to free agency right now. Uh, We are having a roundtable discussion uh, on the regular Bear Report podcast, which you can also check out as well. But, you know, I think we will be remiss not to discuss some of the major moves that the Bears have done so far this offseason a little bit in this podcast today. Uh, but, you know, just to give you listeners our general thoughts on what the Bears have done so far in this offseason period. But in terms of this episode, what we're going to be focusing on, obviously, it's going to be focused on the draft and draft centric. So the focus of this episode will be continuing our 2020 NFL draft positional breakdowns, which, you know, with our attention going towards the offensive line for this episode. I, I know we're both excited for this one offensive line. It's, it's one of my favorite positions of study uh, as far as the NFL draft goes.
3: Yeah, offensive line, um, you know, it's some of the most posi- uh, important positions in football, and I don't think that they get enough credit. Obviously, left tackle nowadays, they definitely get the credit they deserve, but I think centers are a keystone of the of the offense, and we saw what happened with the Bears struggling at the center position this year, and that's important, and I think there's a lot of good uh, prospects in this draft.
2: Yeah, I think we took it for granted a little bit, you know, in 2018 with how good the offensive line performed, in terms of the pass protection at least, um, how important that was for the offensive success. And we kind of saw this past year they had some injuries on the Barris offensive line, especially on the right side. Uh, you know, they had Kyle Long get injured early on in the year, and he was out for the rest of the season. Uh, then Massey dealt with some injuries. Uh, you know, just they struggled for large parts of the season. We kind of saw that impact the offense negatively for the most part last year. So, you know, offensive line is gonna be a big need for the Bears in this upcoming draft. And there's a lot of talent in this draft, I think, to where they could really upgrade that unit. Um, so for those new to the podcast, for each position group, in terms of these positional break uh, breakdowns, we discuss our top five players, our sleepers, our overrated prospects, and then we conclude with our thoughts on what the Bears strategy should be to address each position group in the draft. Uh, but before we get into all of that, though, I, I just wanted to say to all of our listeners that, you know, we hope you're all safe and healthy during this turbulent time period. You know, with the coronavirus going on, uh, you know, it's our goal here at Picks for Pace. We kind of mentioned it earlier to provide you, know, you guys a much needed distraction and some football related entertainment while we're all, you know, chilling out at home, I guess, for the foreseeable future. So, you know, and, and speaking of staying safe at home, that brings us to our sponsor for today's episode, Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm is real or not. All the alarm companies can tell them that, that you know, the mouth motion sensor went off, but SimpleSafe Home Security is different. If there's a break-in, SimpleSafe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You can get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break centers guard the inside as well. Plus, SimpliSafe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. It's twenty-four-seven uh, monitors by live security professionals. You can also set up your system yourself, no tools needed, or SimpliSafe can do it for you as well. And it's only fifty. Sp- Cents per day with no contracts, so you're getting a good deal with Simple safe Visit simplesafecom slash overtime. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplesafecom slash overtime so they know that our show sent you. That's simplesafe.com/overtime. slash overtime. All right, Alex, so before we get into the offensive line discussion here for this episode. You know, I think we should talk about a little bit about the free agency and some of the big moves that went on for the Bears over this past week. And, you know, I think we should start off with the best and worst move that the Bears made uh this offseason so far. And I I think we're both in agreement here in terms of the moves that the Bears made uh in in the first couple of days of the free agency period.
3: Yeah, no. Um so like most Bears fans, my Least favorite move we've made is that Jimmy Graham signing. That that was extremely frustrating when when I saw that because Jimmy Graham not only was he a Packer last year, he was a bad Packer last year, and that's just something I don't want any part of. He was well overpaid, um, and then after with the with the Hooper deal coming out, just the fact that Jimmy Graham, who is not a top 30 tight end in football making only two and a half million dollars less than Austin Hooper I thought the Hooper deal wasn't great at the time I thought that was a bit of an overpay but ours is an astronomically large overpay when you look in comparison to Hooper to Graham being only two and a half million dollars separating the two
2: yeah no I've been in the camp you know going back to even before free agency that you know the Bears should maybe look to not overpay at the tight end position this off season Uh, you know, because I feel like they already have Trey Burton on the roster and he's got a sizable cap hit. I think he's got a, what is it? A top six or top five cap hit among tight ends in 2020. Um, So you're already, you know, you already have a lot of money invested in the tight end position already. And there were a lot of tight ends available out there that you could have gotten uh, for a lower price. I mean, I look at Eric Ebron, for instance, who got, a two-year $12 million deal, you know, that's a lot less than Jimmy Graham. And I think Eric Ebron, while he's inconsistent, I think he's a better player than Jimmy Graham at this point by, you know, quite a sizable margin. So I didn't like the Graham signing one bit. Um, I think you have pretty much nailed it on the head there. He's not the same player that he once was with the New Orleans Saints. And I think that's why Ryan Pace was, you know, so adamant about going after Jimmy Graham is that Ryan Pace was in New Orleans in that front office when Jimmy Graham was there. So there's they had that connection there. But uh I'm not a big fan of the signing. I think Jimmy Graham, you know, while I think you can he's a little bit more reliable than Trey Byrne in terms of the health aspect, I think Trey Byrne when healthy is a just as good, if not better, than Jimmy Graham um, in terms of the production there. And you know, I I think that with all of the other needs that the Bears need to address this offseason, I feel like they could have been smarter about you know spending less money at that position and and using it elsewhere
3: yeah no i I couldn't agree more there um the the guy i liked the most though was uh robert quinn so when i was covering or when we were speaking earlier about uh moves we wanted the bears to make uh robert quinn never came up for me just because i assumed he'd be well out of our price range but pace made that happen which is awesome uh he is an extremely efficient pass rusher. He put up a lot of sacks last year, even though he was double teamed at a rate similar to what Khalil Mack saw, which is absurd to me. And just having him on the opposite side of Khalil Mack with Akeem Hicks in the middle, I don't see how defenses are going to be able to stop this pass rush.
2: No, I, I love the Robert Quinn signing. That is, that's a home run to me at this point because when I look at Quinn he had some down years a little bit over the like around 2015 to 2017 when he was dealing with some injuries uh, specifically with back injuries which is always a little bit of concern with these pass rushers but he really rebounded last season with the Cowboys uh, 11 and a half sacks and you kind of mentioned it there uh this guy is a one of the best pass rushers in the NFL in terms of pure pass rushing ability, he's probably around a top 10 to 15 edge rusher in the NFL right now. And I think when you look at his contract, yes, it's a five-year deal. But I, I think, you know, compared to his value as a player, I think he might be a little bit underpaid for how good of a pass rusher that he is. There are guys making, they are going to be making more money than him in this upcoming season and beyond that I don't think are the quality of pass rusher that Robert Quinn is. And he's going to – you mentioned it there. It's absolutely scary with Khalil Mack on one side, Robert Quinn on the other, and Akeem Hicks uh, attracting attention in the middle of the defense. That is scary for opposing offensive lines, especially in the NFC North. I I don't see an an offensive line in the division right right now that can match up and handle the pass rush as currently constructed that the Bears have. Um, That was as weak as I thought for the defense last year. Because once Akeem Hicks went down, pretty much all the attention went towards Khalil Mack. And, you know, we saw, you know, Leonard Floyd, he wasn't able to win any of his one-on-one matchups. Uh, Roy Robertson Harris, his production went down a little bit now that Akeem Hicks wasn't there attracting double teams. Like I don't know who you can double team on this defensive line. There's just, there's no good option, I think, if you're an opposing offense in that regard.
3: Yeah, and that's that's something I... Look forward to seeing. And the one knock on Robert Quinn was, I know PFF said that he was one of the lowest rated uh, run defenders, but when you have Akeem Hicks and you have Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith, Eddie Goldman stuff in the run, I'm not too concerned about the the run defense out of Robert Quinn. We just have a lot of other guys who fill that need extremely well and especially if we end up getting a veteran box safety that then there's there's no worry about the run defense
2: well i'm going to take this time to go on a little bit of a tangent on pff because they had this ridiculous take a few days ago where they they said something along the lines of the bears regretting the cleo Mack trade which they don't at all um (laughs) that's like one of the most ridiculous takes i've ever seen but you know pff it's funny that you mentioned that they they were grade him low in, you know, the run defense aspect of it when they're one of the main um you know content distributors out there that kind of put that that thought process out there that run defense doesn't really matter, which is I think is kind of it's a little bit funny to me. But you know, I went back and I watched Robert Quinn tape when they made the signing. Uh they had the NFL Game Pass out there, which is just awesome to use. Uh if you love watching the all twenty-two um you know, coaches film and Robert Quinn, I I disagree with that notion that he's a poor run defender. He did a really nice job in run defense last year at the Cowboys. You know, it's not his strong suit, but it's not like a major weakness out there either. You know, he's a guy that, and again, the fact that he's such a good pass rusher, it makes up for any weakness that he has as a run defender and the Bears defense as currently constructed, they're going to be able to stop the run regardless of whether he's out there or not. I think this is a great signing for them overall. and um, I, I'm just really excited to see how he pairs with Cleveland Mack because they perfectly complement each other as well. You have Mac, who's that pure power rusher, and then Quinn, who's a speed rusher. So Quinn's going to be able to get around the edge on that right side of the defense or the left side of the offense, as it would be, and he's going to force the quarterback to step right up. And when the quarterback's stepping right up, you're going into Akeem Hicks, and you got Khalil Mack who's gonna be barging in from the other side. So uh I mean you have three layers there of pass rush that offenses have to contend with if these guys are all healthy at the same time. And that's just that's just terrifying, I think, for um any team that goes against the Bears defense this upcoming year.
3: Yeah, the the main way that defenses were or offenses were stopping Khalil Mack this year was even though Khalil Mack was winning a lot of double teams, they would have a they'd have a running back waiting there to chip him, and then the quarterback would just drop back a second time, and Leonard Floyd wasn't on the opposite side making that pressure. So, the quarterback tries to drop back a second time, they're going to end up dropping back on the ground. So, that's something I look forward to. And just uh, pile on a little bit on the PFF is last week they said that Golden Tate is more valuable than Miles Garrett. So they do have a little bit of flaws in their numbers I do think there is some value in what PFF does but I think they intentionally tweak things just to stir hot takes a bit
2: oh yeah definitely that's I mean I've even admitted that in the past I think where they've said that um you know sometimes they'll you know mess with their grades a little bit just to get you know some click bait baity type of material out there so they can generate a little bit more buzz and uh you know get some material out there that they otherwise wouldn't be if they just gave you the raw grades as they were. But again, every source is subjective when it comes to those sort of things and, you know, ultimately it comes down to what you see when you're evaluating uh, the players that you're looking at. Um, so we talked about some of the main moves that the Bears made, but there are also some moves that they haven't made yet. Um, that could be of interest, I think, when we you know go ahead in this free agency period, you know there's still a lot of good players available to the bears that could fill some holes for them. So what are some uh, players for you that uh, you're looking for in terms of adding them to this roster and filling some needs that the bears have still as of right now?
3: Yeah, as I, uh, I alluded to earlier a bit, I really want a veteran strong safety. I just personally don't feel super comfortable with that, uh, Deion Bush as my uh, my starting safety. I do think he is a he's a good depth safety. We've seen him step in on certain packages and and perform well. I I didn't like his performance in the playoff game against the Eagles, but you know Tony Jefferson's a guy I like. He could. Uh, answer some questions I know he has some injury concerns and he's not stellar in pass coverage but to me he's a lesser version of Adrian Amos but he really could step into that box solidify the run defense and really just let Eddie Jackson play his brand of football and he doesn't count towards the compensation pick uh, formula because he got cut so it's a he's a guy that I think would be cheap and would make a day one difference on this defense
2: yeah i think strong safety is definitely something that needs to be addressed but you know based off what you know the roster is right now and currently constructed there and you know with the bears cap situation being as it is as of right now i i think that's something where they're going to wait a little bit till after the draft to maybe add a veteran there because it's very possible that they could address safety in the draft and let those guys compete for a spot uh they also signed a safety from the Kansas City Chiefs um his name is escaping me right now but uh he's another strong safety special teamer type that's going to be competing for a spot there so they have a lot of bodies at strong safety right now but there's not really that one guy that you can be comfortable with as the full-time starter which is definitely a concern but if their plan is to see what happens in the draft first and then address the safety position afterwards when the price tag for some of these guys like Tony Jefferson might go down a little bit, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. Cause Jefferson, he's coming off of a, of an injury, I believe. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something to definitely take into account into whether he's even going to be ready to go when training camp rolls around. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, I, I it, it's solid there. I feel like, you know, with the bears, with their defense is currently constructed, you know, you have a great pass rush already set up. Like we alluded to earlier, but, you know, when I look at some needs that the Bears need to address, I would like to still, I would still like them to sign a third edge rusher onto uh, this pass rush and just beat that up a little bit. Because they signed Barkevius Mingo uh, to be their outside linebacker number three as of right now in the depth chart. You know, he's a good special teamer, and he's a very versatile athlete. He can play outside linebacker on the edge for them, or he can play a little bit of inside linebacker in a pinch. But his main value is going to be on special team. You know, he's not a very good pass rusher whatsoever. You know, he's a first, former first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns from 2013, I believe. And he, he just never worked out there. But he, he found a nice role with the Seattle Seahawks in 2018 as a versatile chess piece at linebacker. He's a good special teamer as well, like I, I mentioned earlier. So, But he's only had, I believe, one sack in the last two seasons. So he's not a guy that's going to add any value in terms of being a third edge rusher that you can have to either spell Robert Quinn or Cleo or Mack for a couple snaps here and there or if one of those guys go down due to injury, you know, he's not a guy that can step in and be a quality pass rusher for you there. So, and I'm always of the opinion that you can never have too much pass rush. You know, I like to build my defenses on the defensive line first and then work my way back um, as opposed to maybe going with secondary first and working the way up. I mean, there's two different philosophies there, there, but me personally, I like to address the pass rush first and then figure out the defense, uh, the rest of the defense uh, from there. So some guys that are on my radar in terms of filling that role, I look at Cameron Wake, who spent a year with the Tennessee Titans last season. Uh, he was a guy who he was rumored to be considering retirement, but you know, I think he still has something left in the tank in a situational role. You know, he had two and a half sacks in Week One versus the Cleveland Browns last season. So we we can see that in short bursts, this guy can get after the quarterback um, if you give him, you know, just fifteen to twenty snaps a game, not really asking for. A lot there uh, some other guys I know I know you're not going to like this one but Clay Matthews who had a resurgent year at the Rams he had eight sacks with them I, I know you're not a big fan of that one so you know neither would count against the comp pick formula which is why I had them as options out there um, and I think both would add some value as a third pass rusher for this unit but I, I, I can definitely sense the, uh, the Packers thing being a little bit of an issue with Clay Matthews there
3: yeah, I wouldn't say that I would I would, would not dislike the move of Clay Matthews. I think he would honestly fit in pretty well as a outside linebacker number three. I I don't like uh Barcavius Mingo being our third. Uh a friend of mine asked me to describe how he plays and I said it was uh he's a slower Leonard Floyd and Leonard Floyd had a club on. So that's not a great uh, <laughs> that's not a great comparison, but he does drop into coverage pretty well, so I'd be I'd be very happy with him as our outside linebacker number four. So if we're not drafting in the second, if we're not drafting an edge in the second, I really would like to bring in a veteran who's more of a technician. So, yeah, a guy like uh, Cameron Wake would be a good fit. I think Clay Matthews, while I hate him as a Packer and how he's on every single commercial that ever exists, even though he had, what, three good years when he was testing positive for steroids well yeah he he played well for the Rams last year he he could be a very good uh you know spell the pass rushers come in for some some third downs as well I, I think he would be he'd be a good outside linebacker three as long as he comes in at the right price
2: yeah and uh you know another name I have in my notes here is Terrell Suggs who I don't know what his status is in terms of retiring but I'll mention him because Chuck Pagano has a relationship with him from when he was a defensive coordinator with the Baltimore Ravens back in 2011, I think it is. But I think it's likely that he retires unless he gets a really good opportunity somewhere for a contending team. So that's another name to keep out there as well. Um, In terms of some other needs, I think the offensive line, especially an offensive guard is something that the Bears uh, have, you know, some more needs to address there. Uh, they did make one signing though. They got Jermaine Effetti earlier today, actually, like pretty much like an hour ago from when we were recording here. Uh, he played right tackle for the Seattle Seahawks, a former first round pick. Um, you know, Effetti's not a very good tackle necessarily, not a, a great player at, at all. But on a one year cheap deal, I kind of like that signing there in terms of he can compete for that right guard position. But even if he isn't getting a starting spot, he could be that swing tackle potentially if they don't address the offensive tackle spot in the draft um depending on how the board kind of falls for them in the, in that regard
3: yeah um he was, he was in the top 5 in penalties among offensive linemen this year which obviously that's not a a pleasant sight but i i do think switching from tackle to guard those flags should come down um i think he competes with bars and if we draft someone is well for that right guard spot if not I mean I would I would like him to be our swing tackle and the backup guard I think that would be an amazing signing just have a little bit of upside he was drafted I believe 31st overall in the NFL draft so he he's got the upside to him maybe coach him up and just just some solid depth I'd like to ha- see him see the field more than a guy who just left in free agency uh Ted Larson I would just Trust Jermaine more than Ted Larson personally.
2: Yeah, and if Eddie's a good run blocker, so I think that's something to where he could add some value to the Bears because, you know, the pass blocking took a little bit of a step back this past year, but I think, you know, I think because of the fact that they regressed across the board there, I think they can get better in terms of their pass blocking, uh, you know, especially with the move they made. We haven't even talked about the Nick Foles trade, which is the big move, but, you know, for time purposes, we'll kind of just like skip that, I guess, for now um but you know when you look at a Nick Foles for instance a veteran quarterback who can get the line set up a little bit better and get the protection scheme set before the snap a little bit better than a Trubisky can which is where some of his struggles are in terms of the mental aspect of the game um you know some of those pass blocking concerns can uh you know dissipate a little bit but the run blocking has been a problem for this offensive line the last two seasons really and any, if he does earn a starting spot, that's where his value will be as a run blocker rather than as a pass protector.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I'm interested to see what his contract numbers come in looking like, but right now I really like the signing.
2: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. So we're going to transition to our offensive line discussion coming up here. But before we do that, uh, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from one of our sponsors. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, transitioning from our free agency discussion, a little bit of what we did there. And now we're going to be talking about the offensive line, some of the best players coming up in this draft class. It's it's a very good offensive line class overall, especially at offensive tackle. And I think that's a good spot to start for us with our top five tackles in this class, Alex. I'll start with you, you know who are the five guys that you're looking at at the top of this class?
3: yeah, um usually when we do these position breakdowns uh, because fives are a rather arbitrary cutoff, it is a little difficult for me because maybe there's only four guys that I think are clearly better, or there's a top seven that I just love, but top five works out extremely nicely for me at tackle because I think there are five guys who are first round talents, so that makes it easy for me to break it down uh number one i got uh out of alabama uh willis i think he's wills my apologies i think he's just a true talent he's should be a a top six draft pick he's great in both pass protection and run blocking extremely physical he's i think should be a lock to be the first tackle off the board uh next up i got tristan Werps out of iowa He was an absolute monster at the Combine. He was putting up tight end numbers all across the board. And honestly, he just popped out when I was watching Big Ten film. He was extremely impressive, regardless of who he was going up against. It seemed like he was winning the matchup. Uh, Next up is Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. Seemed like all year long, people were saying he was the, the number one tackle. But I think as people dug a little bit more into film, while he is still a top 15 draft pick, he's not as entrenched as he was before. I think he's a really high floor prospect. I think he's a day one starter in the NFL, but I'm not sure he has the ceiling as these other top four. Uh, then we got the, the riskier prospect, which is Mekhi Bechton out of Louisville. He is absolutely massive and he was extremely impressive running the 40. Uh, we talked about him in our uh, NFL Draft Combine podcast but he's a guy where as Michael Jordan said uh, the ceiling is the roof <laughs> and he really could be a top five NFL tackle but he has a lot more to work on than the, the three guys above him and then last up is Josh Jones out of Houston I think he's a clear number five out of these five but he is still I think significantly better than the next best tackle pro- prospect and he is, in my mind, a, a first-round talent at a, an extremely important position. So I think he's a lock to go there. And if he's not, he should be.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And The, uh, the one and the five there, our, our top fives are pretty much the same in terms of who is in the top five. But uh, my order in the middle is a little bit different. But I'll, I'll start with uh, Jedrick Wills at number one for me. Uh, you, you said it all there. He's the top tackle in this class for me um I I think you can keep him at right tackle or left tackle um you'd be probably best to keep him at right tackle where he's most comfortable right now but he's a stud and he should be a top five pick in this draft I think he's for me I mean in, in a draft as loaded as this is a tackle uh you have to be pretty darn good to be the consensus number one guy um by a pretty significant amount and Jedrick Wills is for me it's I wouldn't say it's it's not close but to me, he's a pretty clear-cut number one in this class. And then, you know, for my number two, I have Andrew Thomas. Actually, I have Georgia as my number two. Um, you know, I like the fact that he's very polished. Um, his footwork needs a little bit of work, I think. Um, but in terms of, you know, you kind of said it right there. He's got a high floor. He's going to be an instant starter from day one. You know, maybe he's not doesn't have the ceiling of a Tristan Worfs or Mekki Becton, but I know for a fact that you know, I'm going to get at the very least a good solid player out of Andrew Thomas. He's one of those guys that it it really, you know, I wouldn't mind him being picked very high because um, you just know what you're getting out of him. You know, he's going to be a starting level tackle for you for eight to 10 years. And in today's NFL, where we're seeing guys like Haloti Vaitai get five years, $50 million in the open market because finding tackles is just so hard to do in today's NFL. I'll take a safe prospect like Andrew Thomas any day of the week high in the first round. Uh, Then for my number three, I have Mekki Becton actually out of Louisville. And it's kind of like, I I relate this to Bill Parcells planet theory where there's only so many guys with that level of size and athleticism. And when you find those guys, you should make it a priority to get them. And that's kind of my thing with Mekki Becton. He's not nearly as polished as Wills or Thomas um, in terms of his technique, but He's just a massive dude, and he's got athleticism. He can move in space well enough for that size. And, I mean, you can, you see clips out there of him in college, and he's throwing guys to the third row in run blocking. It's just – it's ridiculous. I, I think teams like the Giants uh, with Dave Gellman running the front office there are going to fall in love with him and pick him high. Um, he's just a guy that is just very talented. And, you know, the interesting thing about him is he played left tackle and right tackle, and he switched off based off how the play was in college. So he never got to really hunker down at one position at either left tackle or right tackle and work on his fundamentals there. So he's got a lot of work to do. He's very raw in a lot of areas. But if you can put him at one of those right tackle or left tackle spots and just keep him there and let him develop, I think he can be a star in this league in terms of being one of the best left tackles in football with proper coaching. And then number four, uh, I have Tristan Werfs out of Iowa. Um, love his upside. Um, like you mentioned, the combine performance was just freakish in what he was able to do out there. Um, he probably has, other than Jedrick Wills, probably the most upside in this class among tackles. Um, his technique does need a little bit of work for me. Some of his hand usage and footwork uh, needs to get a little bit refined and he's a little bit inconsistent in that regard. But again, that's what you, why you have these coaches at, at the NFL level to kind of get these guys to a, to a point where they can develop and be you know fulfill their potential. And and Tristan Wirf, he's got as good as potential as anybody in this class. Um, I just feel the reason why he's below Thomas and Beckton for me is uh, is that you know, I like Thomas in terms of his floor a little bit is a little bit higher than Wirf's, and then Mekki um I just, again, it comes down to you just don't find anybody with his size and athleticism. So I I love Tristan Wirfs. He's a top 10-ish player for me in this draft, you know, just in general. But he slides into four here just because of the fact that this tackle class is so good that somebody's got to be at that four spot. Um, He would be a number one tackle, I think, in pretty much any other draft besides this one. And then my number five, I have Josh Jones as well out of Houston. Just a very solid player. Good athleticism, good upside there. Really improved as the season went along this past year. And he really helped himself quite a bit at a Senior Bowl where he really stood out there um, in some of the one-on-one blocking drills. So uh, Josh Jones, I think he's a late first-round type of talent. Um, but, again, he's another guy that could be a top tackle and another draft if it you know, just wasn't as good as it was uh, as it is this year.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's impressive that there's, there's five polished prospects, and you can, you can bring me up to speed on who you think your, your underrated or your sleeper tackle is this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was tough to find a quote-unquote sleeper because I think there's about 10 to 12 guys in this class that I would be comfortable taking uh, within the first two days of the draft, and you just don't find that um in normal draft cycles usually offensive tackle it's really hard to find these guys like i've said so you're often over-drafting these guys um in the first two days of the draft because there's just not a lot of them out there and you're kind of just basing that off of potential but you know with this draft there are just so many guys that i think could be starters you know maybe not right away but you know give them a little bit of time to develop throughout the year and they could be starting by the end of their rookie season and playing pretty decently well. I look at guys like Ezra Cleveland, uh, Lucas Niang is another guy out there. But for me, my main sleeper in this draft is Matt Puret out of UConn. And he's a guy that has the prototypical height and length that you want from the position. He's six 6'7", 36-inch, 5'8", arms, which is really good arm length. Uh, you're going to need that if you're on the uh, offensive tackle uh, because you want to be able to have that long reach to get to those edge rushers and get them around the pocket uh, when they're trying to get get by you on that edge rush. So uh, Matt Pierre, great length, which you really like there. But the most intriguing part about his game is his athleticism and his feet. He's got really quick feet. It allows him to mirror and match pass rushers very well off the edge. And it's, it's almost effortless when you watch him move in space at that tackle spot. He's got very impressive feet there. And then in the running game, it also helps him in that aspect because he can get to the second level uh, pretty easily there. You know, he's a guy that he's going to be a good fit in the Bears' run scheme because uh, the Bears love to run that inside zone where they want their offensive linemen to be able to get to the second level and get to those linebackers, get to those safeties at the next level so that they can create some big plays down the field. and pure would be a perfect fit for that because he can move very well and he's got that length that you want. Now, the problem with pure and why he's probably going to be a second or third round prospect is because of the fact that he needs a year or two to sit on the bench and develop, you know, he doesn't really have very good strength or muscle mass on his body as of right now, but you know, if he can develop that in an NFL training room, that's going to help him immensely because he already has the athleticism. He already has the length. Like I mentioned, And also his technique is a little bit sloppy, especially with his hand placement. Um, Just needs to work on that a little bit more and get that uh, tuned up just a bit. But I I love his upside. Again, with the Bears, with Bobby Mazze under contract for another year or maybe two, they don't necessarily need a offensive tackle to fill in right away. So if they want to wait a little bit in the draft and get a guy like Pierre in the third round, he's kind of a perfect fit for that because he can be – you know, he'd be on the bench for a year. You can have him develop, have him be the swing tackle for you. And then when you want to move on from Massey, from his contract, he can step in and give you um, starter level play with a lot of upside. So Matt Pure he's my sleeper. How about you?
3: Yeah. Um, so I kind of went two different approaches here. I cheated a little bit and gave you an underrated prospect <laughs> and a sleeper. In terms of my true sleeper, Uh, Similar to what you were saying about needing a year or two to sit, I have Trey Adams out of Washington. The guy is just a behemoth. He's he's 6'8", 320. Uh, He's an extremely good run blocker. He's very physical, but he has had uh, injury problems both knee and back, which that is a big red flag, and that's part of the reason he is dropping to about the fifth round I've seen most of the time. But also, he does have a little bit of issue with uh lateral movement from what the film i've watched so that that is a little bit of a red flag again for a tackle, but with a year or two of development, I think he could be a starting tackle in the nFL and also i even though his size is i think too big to play guard, it would be interesting to see if he would be able to to switch there because of turns of on in terms of on the field performance I think lateral movement is the only thing that stood out to me as an issue with his play so Uh, that isn't as big of a a factor in terms of a guards play in in comparison to a tackle so I wonder if that is at all possible in terms of position change there but my underrated prospect I have uh, Lucas Niang out of TCU who you touched on a bit uh, 6'6 315 very physical uh, and run blocking tackle which if you notice run blocking seems to be something that is extremely important to me because I think it kind of shows the mentality of the player whereas I think pass protection is a little bit more on the coaching. Uh, He's another guy he could benefit seeing a uh, sitting year. I could see him going in the second or the third round but personally I have him as my offensive tackle number seven. I think he's super close to Austin Jackson who I have as my sixth, which I I think Niang's not getting all the credit he deserves there.
2: No, I I like Niang a lot, and uh, he's gone under the radar maybe because of injury concerns, but uh, he's a very, very talented player, and I like that you bring up Austin Jackson out of USC because, you know, kind of transitioning from sleepers to maybe overrated players, Austin Jackson kind of got that nod for me in terms of being an overrated prospect. And like you, I think he's kind of on that borderline in terms of being the sixth or seventh best, best tackle in this class. But the reason why I have him in that overrated tier is because he's been getting a lot of first round buzz. And me personally, I don't see it. You know, you love the physical tools that he has, but his technique is a mess. He has a tendency to lunge in pass protection, which that's um, a big concern, big red flag for me, because that doesn't project very well to the next level. And I've seen some you know online scouts and mock drafts uh project him as a top 15 pick and I think you're crazy if you're going to be picking him that high I mean he's got some talent don't get me wrong but uh just not quite a first round prospect like a lot of people want to make him at this point
3: yeah no I completely agree um it seems like people are kind of putting him neck and neck with Jones for that OT number five but really I think uh, Josh Jones is a significantly better tackle prospect than Austin Jackson and I, I think Austin Jackson he shouldn't go in the first round and I think it should be more of a debate of Jackson versus Yang than it should be Jackson versus Jones
2: no I, I couldn't agree more um, we kind of touched on this a little bit though kind of moving on here um, in terms of the offensive tackle position uh, what is your general strategy there and how would you address that uh, in this with this upcoming class,
3: yeah, um, I, as I've kind of repeated a little bit, uh, I think there's a top five clear top five tackles and then a a group behind that. I don't see a world where any of those five tackles make to us in the second. So I think taking one of them in the second would be in the early second where we have our picks would be a little bit of a reach. so personally, I would like to to trade back, and I think, targeting a tackle in the third or maybe the late second would be a would be a great value pick because this is a deep tackle class.
2: Yeah like I mentioned before there's about probably like 10 to 12 guys I think that I would be comfortable taking a second or third round pick on in this class which is very rare so I'm, I'm kind of with you there in terms of trading back trying to get kind of maximize that value a little bit again I wanted to trade back once or twice in the second round just to get You know, get back into that third round area and address some other needs there. But in terms of the tackle position, you know, don't I want them to necessarily reach for a guy? But I think they should try to address it as early as possible because with how loaded this class is and with how desperate teams are to address offensive tackle around the NFL right now, uh, these guys are going to be flying off the board early and often. I think in this draft. I mean, you could see as many as six or seven offensive tackles go in the first round with you know how the position has been trending lately. Um, so if the Bears are going to try to get a tackle with legitimate starting upside, you know, they might be forced to use one of those second round picks or trade back and use a second round pick on a tackle in this class. And, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Cause that's where really the strength of this offensive tack- tackle class is in that second round. There's a lot of guys there that we haven't even really talked about as well that could be available as well you know, I look at Prince Taga Winogo out of Auburn. He's another guy that I like. I mentioned Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. He's another guy with a lot of upside. So, you know, there there are going to be options for them in the second to third round area to address offensive tackle. But if they're going to do that and address the position in this draft, they're probably going to have to do it there.
3: Yeah, no, I, I agree there. And it's more so just the I do like some of these later project guys like uh, before we traded Nick Foles or traded for Nick Foles and gave away our fourth round comp I was really hoping that we would snag uh, the guy I spoke about earlier Trey Adams there just because I think he has legitimate starter upside but yeah I would I would love to take a guy like some of the names you mentioned and also Nying in the in the second or third but I just personally want to rack up picks I know you do too but if the talent's there and we're worried about him not lasting, we got to take it because, as you said, tackles are hard to come by, and I'm, I'm sure next year's draft class won't be as deep.
2: Yeah, no, definitely not. This is a generational in terms of overall talent tackle. This is a generational class, kind of similar to wide receiver this year. The tackle class is very deep, very talented. And, I mean, I think all five of our tackles, top five tackles, would be the number one or number two tackle in any other draft year. So it's just a crazy year for tackle. And if the Bears are going to address it, um, this is really the ideal year to kind of do that. So we're going to transition to the interior offensive line coming up here. But before we get into that, we're going to take our final break of the show with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace talking about some offensive line prospects in this upcoming class We just covered the offensive tackle class, which is a very talented and deep group. And now we're going to be going to the interior offensive line where, you know, I think, Alex, there is a lot of intriguing talents here in this class, but it kind of comes down to the scheme fit that you're running and uh, who's going to be available and where you want to take these guys. So um, in terms of your top five, who are some of the guys that you're looking at there in terms of the top players in this class?
3: Yeah. Off the bat, I think it's it's pretty unanimous at this point that Cesar Ruiz out of uh, Michigan is the number one guy, which is a little bit of a surprise because throughout the year, I wasn't really seeing him as a first-round, second-round buzz player. It was more so as the season started to wind down and people started to dig a little bit more in the field, into the film, that Caesar shot up the draft boards and it's definitely warranted. From what I watched, he's clearly the number one interior offensive lineman for me. And uh, next up, I got Tyler Biotish out of Wisconsin. He's kind of the opposite path of Caesar. He went from a preseason top 15 draft pick to now I see him going in the third round most of the time. And I think centers are a little under underappreciated. They don't get enough love. I think they are a lot more important than guard, which maybe I maybe that's a hot take, but I'm not sure. Um, I, th- I think he deserves to go in the early second. I think he's a, a difference maker. I know he was a little banged up and wasn't able to fully uh, compete at the combine and he's not exactly a physical specimen, but his technique's great. I like him a lot. Uh, next up at three, I have Lloyd Cushenberry out of LSU. He was just rock solid all year long. Uh, I think he's more of a run blocker personally, but he held his own and pass as well. Uh, Next up, John Simpson, Clemson. Uh, He measures in at 6'4", 330. That's a great size for a guard. He played both left and right guard at Clemson. Clemson's offensive line is more of a pro-style scheme, and he really did, uh, not to be redundant, but he, he he held his own, was rock solid in both pass and run there as well. And last up, number five was tough for me. I feel like there's, there's four guys who are better than the rest. And then I think there's about 10 guys who kind of fill in right behind there. But I went with Shane Lemieux out of Oregon. He was a prospect that I was super high on at the beginning of the year. And he's kind of fallen out of love with me a bit as the season has gone on a bit. But he still is a he's a great prospect. He's Able to be a little versatile. I think he could play both guard and center in the NFL. So he's a guy that I would still like to, to take a pick on.
2: Yeah, I like the point that you made about center there. I, I think, you know, when I'm constructing an offensive line, you want to get your tackles set because those are the guys that are defending the edge rushers. You want to be able to keep your quarterback clean off the edge. You don't want them worrying about that. But center is just as important because those are the guys that set the, the uh, protections. Uh, you know they handle the responsibilities in the run game for who's blocking who in most schemes, and they just, they're the anchor, they're the pivot point of the offensive line. So you want to get a good center there. I, I like the point that you made uh, with that, and you know, in my in my opinion, guard is a pretty replaceable position. You know, in terms of you can get it's it's a lot easier than a lot of the other offensive line spots to get replaceable level play there. Um, center, it's a very underappreciated position, and this draft does have a couple of really talented center uh, prospects at the top here. You know, I agree Cesar Ruiz is my top interior offensive line in this class. Uh, pretty much every any scheme you want to run, he fills it nicely. He's got the athleticism to get to the second level in zone schemes, but he's also got enough power in the running game to play more of a man-to-man uh, power gap scheme. Um, he does struggle a little bit against the bull rush in the pass protection, but, um, you know, centers in the NFL don't really handle pass protection as much as they do in college. So I think he's going to be able to get a little bit pro- protected there. Uh, number two for me, I have Lloyd Cushenberry out of LSU. I mean, this guy is built like an ox. He's really hard to move in the run game and the pass game. Um, bull rushers, I mean, Javon Kin- Kinlaw is one of the most talented um bull rushers in this class. I mean, the guy's an absolute freaking nature. He had a really hard time bull rushing Lloyd Cushenberry both when they played each other in college and at the senior bowl and they went against each other in one-on-one drills. Cushenberry is just he's got a very nice anchor, very good core strength, and he's just very tough to move. Um, and he's a very good run blocker like you alluded to. Um, my number three is Tyler Biatish out of Wisconsin. Um, you said it. He, he was a guy that coming into this year, we kind of saw as the top interior offensive line guy in this class. But you know, 2019 wasn't his best year compared to 2017 and 2018. So I think a lot of people are going to be down on him going into this draft. He's going to drop a little bit. But I think for whatever team gets him, whether it's in the second or third round, you know, you're you're just getting a good, solid football player. And whether you want to put him at center or guard, you know, he's a guy that, yeah, maybe he's not going to be an All-Pro. In, in the next level but maybe doesn't have that type of athletic upside but you know you're getting a solid starter for the next eight to ten years in this league I I, I definitely believe that with Tyler Tyler Biotis he's just a very solid football player uh and then number four for me I have Shane Lemieux I'm very high on him uh, I think he moves a little bit better than he gets credit for and what I like about him is he's a very violent player in his run blocking he's he's not afraid to shift his weight around and um, get after some of these defensive linemen and get them on the ground. So I really like that. He's he's a little bit raw in terms of his technique, but I love the physicality he brings. I love the mentality that he brings. And that's something that the Bears really need because just, this is more of a finesse offensive line that the Bears have. And they need someone in there, especially in the interior, that's not afraid to just get after it and just beat on some of these defensive linemen and get them on the ground. Um, they just don't do a good job with the Bears of, moving defensive linemen off the line of scrimmage. And that kind of hurt David Montgomery's game a little bit because he just didn't have enough holes to run through this past year. And there's, that's not going to be an issue with Shane Lemieux. He's a guy who's going to, you know, create some, uh, some juice in the running game. He's going to get those – he's going to blow those guys off the line of scrimmage, and he's going to create some holes for running backs to go through. Um, then my number five guy, this is tough for me because, um, you know, I have my top four – pretty ahead of some of the other guys in this draft. I mean, there's a little bit of a drop-off for for me. Um, It was kind of a tie for me at number five between Jonah Jackson out of Ohio State and Damian Lewis out of LSU. Those are both guys that I really like, and they have different styles, so it's really on what kind of scheme you want to run. You know, Damian Lewis, he's more of that powerful run-blocking type of guy, and Jonah Jackson's more of that mobile Uh, zone skiing type of guy so it's really more of the flavor what you like in your guard and what kind of scheme you're in there so those are my top five uh, interior offensive linemen for this class
3: yeah um, so next up we can go to uh, sleepers Uh, my sleeper is a a Michigan man uh, Ben Bredesen Um, I've spoken about him a, a couple times this year but he's someone that I think is a Kind of what you alluded to with Biadish. while I don't think he has all-pro potential, I think he is a multiple-year starter in the NFL. I mean, he started 46 times on a strong Michigan offensive line. Starting four years at Michigan is just an extremely impressive feat. He's very good size, 6'5", 3'15", and he is awesome in the run game. I do think he needs to clean up his pass protection a little bit, but as a guy who is getting more third, fourth round buzz, I I think he would be a, a good value pick there because I'd, I'd feel comfortable as him with him as my starting right guard in 2020.
2: Yeah. I think he'd be a good fit in terms of the bears are looking for a guy with a little bit more power, a little bit more nastiness in the run game uh Bredesen brings that in spades he's a guy's he's not the most athletic guy getting to the second level which might be an issue in some schemes but if the Bears just ask him to you know go one-on-one against the defensive tackler defensive lineman uh in front of him and just blow him off the line of scrimmage that's what he does best and he's a very physical guy so if you want to go in that direction I think he's a very good pick in the third or fourth round like you said. Uh, for me, my sleeper in this draft is Hakeem Adeniji out of Kansas. He was a four-year starter at left tackle for Kansas, but because he's not the – he doesn't have really good length, um, so he's probably going to be projected as a guard in the NFL. Um, when you look at Adeniji, he's got good initial powers. He's not, you know, the mauler that Bredesen is, but he can drive some guys off the line of scrimmage a little bit on the initial snap, and he moves well enough in pass protection to where – Maybe he's not the best fit on the edge, but you put him in the interior and he's going to move more than good enough on the interior and pass protection to mirror defensive tackles who maybe want to play with a little bit more finesse in their game. Um, He does struggle uh, in terms of operating at the second level. It does seem like he labors a little bit when you ask him to move in space. So that might be something that He's going to struggle with in terms of the bear scheme that wants their offensive lineman to get to the second level a little bit more, but if they can minimize that at right guard to where maybe they can utilize his power a little bit better and have him just uh, fill in there, I think that would be a pretty good spot for them in him in that regard. And he's another guy who's going to be available in the fourth or fifth round. So I, I like him in terms of the fact that he fills in nicely at right guard to compete right away. and if you need him to maybe step up as a swing tackle he's more than capable as a four-year starter of stepping out to left or right tackle and being your guy there if one of your starters goes down for an extended period of
3: time yeah no i i think he's a a very interesting prospect as well
2: so we talked about um our sleepers in this draft Uh, who's one guy that you're looking at who might be a little bit overrated for your taste
3: um so this might I'm not trying to come off as a little disrespectful here, but uh, Solomon Kinley, I think he's a solid player, solid prospect. But to me, he's just a career backup, which there's nothing wrong with that. And having some depth on offensive line is always good. And I think he could, he could step in, but he he's just not good enough in my eyes for him to leave college early. He benefited a lot from playing on a, great offensive line at Georgia but he's a guy that I I wouldn't touch until the fifth or sixth round because I I just don't see him as a long-term starter in the NFL and that's that's what I'm usually looking for in the draft is that upside or significant special teams performance while they they build up
2: yeah my big thing with Kinley is that he just doesn't move well in space and that's going to be a little bit of an issue. If you're not a a complete mauler in the running game, then you have to be able to move well enough in space um, to fit the zone scheme that the Bears run, and that's not his game. He's a pure power type of run blocker there. Um, In terms of my overrated prospect in this class, uh, I have Nitain Muti out of Fresno State. Um, It's not based on his talent level because I think if he were healthy, he would be a guy that we're talking about as a top five player in this class in terms of the interior there. But the big thing for him is the durability, like I mentioned, and is a huge concern. Uh, he, you know, when you look at him, he was a four-year player at Fresno State, but three of those four seasons uh, he missed significant time due to injury. In 2016, 2018, he had Achilles issues, which is a big red flag for me. Um, and then he had Liz Frank in 2019, uh, which kind of limited limited him this past year so. Um, I think he's a good fit for the zone scheme that the bears want to run, but if he's not healthy, you can't take that chance earlier than the fifth round, I would say and you know that would be pretty good value for him there but if you're if you want to t- take him any earlier on this, on say you know the second day of the draft and the second or third round, I think that's a major reach um, in terms of I just don't trust whether he can be able to hold up in the NFL with that high of a
3: draft pick yeah, uh he's definitely. An Achilles injury at at that size is just something that is extremely disconcerting.
2: Yeah, definitely. And that just back injuries, lower leg injuries like that, um, foot injuries, especially for some of these big guys. Those are some of the injuries where you get some of the red flags about, OK, can this guy hold up for a, a significant period of time? And um, that's just my main concern there. So we talked about some some of the better players in this draft um in terms of the strategy at this, at this position um how would you go about addressing this and um you know this and, and into your offensive line class as a whole where do you think the best value would be for the bears in this draft
3: is is there a dead horse over there that i could beat but uh no uh i i personally again i i'd, I'd want to trade back again um uh, i really outside of ruiz i don't see too big of a a difference between some of these interior offensive linemen. Uh, I do like Lloyd Kishenberry a lot. I think he's going to go right around where those Bears' first two seconds are. So I would not mind at all if we just solidified right guard right then and there by taking Kishenberry. But personally, I'd like to kind of target a third round, maybe a fourth round uh, interior offensive lineman. My ideal scenario is taking Biotish in the third. I really or or late second works. He is just a day one starter at center. And Daniels seemed to have an issue assigning pass protection. And White hair has a lot of difficulty with consistent snaps. He was peppering the quarterback in the face, and that's something that I don't really want to watch a full season of. So I would like for a guy like Fiatish to come in at center, and I think both Daniels and Whitehair would play significantly better at guard. So that that's the route I would go at is late second, early third, target Tyler, and just kind of solidify our interior offensive line with just some young, solid starters.
2: Yeah, there are three players in this draft for me that – I would not mind the Bears picking early in the second round with one of their two second-round picks here in this draft, and that's uh, Ruiz, Cushenberry, and Biadish. Those are three guys that I know will be day-one starters for this team right away. They're at center or guard, however they want to put it. Um, Those are day-one starters, pretty good upside. I like the pick, um, addresses their need, and you don't have to worry about it anymore for – a good amount of time in the interior there. So those are the only three guys though, after that, you know, with the guard position, the way it is, it's, it's one of those positions to where there are just, there are just more valuable positions. I think that you should be addressing early and specifically when I look at tackle, that's a big one for the bears. I think edge rusher, like we said earlier, I think it, finding an explosive wide receiver is something that they should be looking towards early in this draft, at least as early as possible Um, because they need some speed in this offense and speed is going to go early especially in this draft class with how deep this wide receiver class is you know these teams are going to want to get those explosive speedy guys in their earlier rounds Um, and then cornerback is another one that I think should be addressed before they find a guard and there is a good enough depth in this class to where I feel like they could get a starting level player in the third or fourth round like you kind of alluded to Um, If Biotis somehow falls to the third round, I would be ecstatic if he was available to the Bears because, um, again, he's a day one guy. You really have no concerns about his ability to be a starting level player for you. You just kind of plug him in and let him play, and he immediately improves your offensive line and at least improves the floor uh, immensely for this offensive line that, really did struggle a bit last season and that interior right guard spot is going to be the key I think for the Bears is if they can address that and get that fixed uh, I think the offensive line is holding me a lot better because that's where a lot of the root of their problems were last season um, in terms of the run and pass game.
3: Yeah and I I completely agree with you those three guys are the only three I'd feel comfortable taking without trading back and other than that, while it would, I think it would be purely drafting for need and not necessarily best player available, it would be awesome if with one of those three guys, you're kind of accomplishing both. Not only are you solving your need, but they're likely one of the best players available on the board as well.
2: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Those those are the top three. But, again, I, I think overall this offensive line class as a whole, it's a pretty talented uh Uh, Group overall, you know, I think the talent class is a little bit deeper and has a little bit more high-end talent than the guard class or or center class. But if you're looking for offensive line help, which the Bears are probably are going to be in this class, I I think this is a pretty good draft overall to uh, address some of the needs there. Maybe get one, maybe even two guys to kind of bring into this offensive line and kind of reinvigorate this group a little bit, which is you know a little bit lean on youth and a little bit lean on depth at this point.
3: Yeah, no, I I, I do think that we should honestly draft two offensive linemen in this class because it's, a, as we talked about earlier, it's a special offensive tackle class, but also there's a lot of rock solid interior offensive linemen, so if we end up accumulating more picks, I would love to see us take two guys, maybe uh, even to, if we're saving draft capital, a guy like Ben Bredesen in the third or fourth who's just a rock solid uh, day one guard and then a guy like Trey Adams who's a project sit for two years but high upside both of those guys will go in day three of the draft and they they could be you know starters in the NFL and they should be
2: yeah definitely I mean that's that's what it's all about you know the draft here so these guys may not contribute right away, but if they can be starters down the line, that's really where the depth and uh, the foundation of your team is built here in the draft. So hopefully the bears with the limited draft capital, they can trade back a little bit, get some of these guys in the later rounds, but ultimately, you know, we'll see what happens overall. Um, so with that, we're going to conclude our time here at picks for pace for this episode. Uh, we're going to be continuing our position previews as the draft rapidly approaches Uh, With our next episode, we're going to focus more on the defensive side of the ball, specifically with the front seven. I'm looking at interior defensive line, edge rushers, some of the guys that are going to be getting after the quarterback and going against these offensive lines in the NFL over the next decade or so. Those are the type of guys we're going to be talking about coming up next. So thanks for tuning in, Bears fans and draft enthusiasts alike. We look forward to more draft discussions over the next few weeks as the draft is
1: coming up in late April.
3: Yep, I uh, look forward to uh, talking about finding the next monster of the Midway.
1: Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.